We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, Hornets fans? We are back for another draft-related episode of Buzz Beat. On today's episode, we are without Spencer, but we do have a great guest uh, who Brian is going to introduce to you guys in a second. If you all missed the last episode, we dove into some possibilities for the Hornets at that 36 selection and the 52nd pick overall. So give that a listen if you haven't done so already. First off, BG, how's everything going? Things are good, man. It's uh, it's uh, you know, it's crunch time here, getting ready for the draft. You know, we're we're under a week away now. Uh, as soon as people listen to this, we'll be under a week. But no, things are good. Enjoying the finals uh, and enjoying draft coverage here. So things are things are good in in my neck of the woods. And we are going to bring on. We've done a couple of these team specific guests already in, in recent episodes of Buzz of Buzzbeat. We had Caroline Darney uh, come on to talk UVA from SB Nation. And we had Ben Swain from Sports Channel 8 to come on and talk about Duke. And we're sticking in the ACC. And we've got another really, really good guest. This is a guy whose work I've admired for several years now. And he's doing what I think is, is some stuff that when it comes to basketball and numbers and, and tracking is, is sort of without parallel. And that's Adrian Atkinson, who's the founder of the Carolina Charting Project. Uh, he also puts together the Secondary Break newsletter. In the past, you've probably seen some of his work at at Inside Carolina and stuff too. And uh, again, this guy's just doing really, really neat stuff with Carolina basketball and numbers and metrics. And it's really, really cool. So Adrian, thanks for uh, for joining. How are things going, man? Good. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Wonderful. Could you just for the, just for, for a, for selfishly for myself, but also for the people listening, <laughs> uh, would you mind just give you, giving maybe whatever sort of like detail you're willing to, to give out on the, uh, the charting project and what you're doing with that work right now? Yeah, it's kind of still in its early stages. But yeah, the idea is, you know, to go back and rewatch. You know, I've been charting games, UNC basketball games since uh, 2005, I guess. Mm -hmm. I have most of the Roy Williams era charted. And the idea is to collect like, you know, defensive charting stats Mm -hmm. and offensive efficiency by play type, you know, by secondary break option. And, you know, just by shot location, shot type. It's all these kind of, you know, outside the box score metrics. Yeah. Create a big database of them. The charting project, I'm actually, I've been watching a lot of old uh, YouTube footage and collecting a lot of clips. I'm working on a video playbook right now. You can actually check it out on YouTube under Carolina Charting Project or 
under my name. You know, I've got everything broken down by, you know, play type or, you know, secondary regular mm-hmm. versus secondary dribble, or, you know, all the different options. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, I'm not really sure where it's going. I might actually rebrand it as Carolina Film Room. You know, okay. the Lakers film room, the body of film room. That's kind of the idea is to move in that direction and do more. I'm trying to work on my video editing skills, uh, you know, kind of turn some of the, you know, the the games next season into like, you know, break them down kind of in real time or, you know, day after. That would be awesome. Yeah. Like I, you know, obviously, uh, uh, you know, on Twitter, I've seen Jordan Sperber do some of this stuff, you know, where he puts yeah. together these seven, eight minute long videos on, you know, on UNC's or part of me, Virginia's, you know, ball screen offense yep. or whatever. And it, it, you know, synced up with a little music and it's, uh, it's really, really cool stuff. And, and I, this stuff with college hoops always really impresses me just because, you know, we're, if you follow the NBA, you're sort of lucky. Like the league does so much for you in terms of tracking data and videos, like all that stuff is up, you know, hours after a game, you know, maybe sometimes even an hour after the game, you can just pull up every single play and, to do to do this stuff for college ball, it just it requires uh, it requires uh, I think a little bit more uh, elbow grease, and, and so I think it's really impressive. And yeah, I subscribe to this channel. Everyone else should too. Like I said, if you if you like UNC basketball or ACC basketball or just hoops in general, um, everyone knows UNC basketball. Like this is a big important brand, and uh, and it, it's just you're gonna learn something uh, if you follow along here too. So speaking of learning something here, we're going to hopefully learn some stuff about a couple UNC draft prospects. Richie, do you want to set up the first one here? Yeah, let, let's definitely start off with uh, Nasir Little because he, out of the three prospects that we're going to get into today, definitely has the best shot to land in Charlotte. And I, I would say I think mo- most, not most, a handful of Hornets fans definitely want to stay away from this guy simply because he's a Tar Heel and there, there's that connection with the Bobcats and the Hornets and, and MJ always selecting these Tar Heel players. So if for nothing else, a lot of people are just like, okay, let's not even draft him and get into that UNC connection. But I, I do really like him as, as a prospect. Uh, and I want to open this up to you first, Adrian. We all know about Little's physical tools. Those things jump off the screen. You watch him play. Uh, that athleticism definitely jumps off the screen. And that's something that you can't teach, and, and he has that. But, you know, Brian, you can jump in afterwards as well. But what are your thoughts on uh, Little's kind of feel for the game and his basketball IQ? Because I think that stuff, you know, a lot of players that come in with this athleticism don't always have that feel for the game or the IQ because they rely a little bit too much on their athleticism. So can you speak to that a little bit on uh, Nasir Little's feel for the game? Uh, yeah, that'd be my. That's actually my biggest reservation on Little as a prospect. Right. It's kind of that lack of. You know, I, I hate to use basketball IQ. I mean, he's obviously he's a very bright yeah, kid, right, right. and I think he's definitely very coachable. But I just don't know. You know, obviously Carolina, he had it's a pretty intricate system. You know, offensively and defensively, there's a lot of kind of cognitive load. Like there's you know a lot to learn. And they were trying him out, you know, started him on the wing, but then they were hoping he'd learn the four also. So in terms of learning, and you know, he had to learn the three and the four. So it was a lot to take in. But yeah, there are definitely some kind of red flags with how he kind of learned the system and kind of just that processing on the fly. I thought of Carolina. Yeah. Do you think, uh, you know, in terms of like, 
I feel like he had – there were times, you know, obviously in transition, the guy could look fluid. Like, you know, he's not for a second – He you know, he had some of these amazing grab-and-go plays, including times when he would – you know, he'd pin a shot at the backboard and, and start the break and then pass – hit a head pass and then sprint down, you know, run the pipe and – and get to the hoop for for a for a slam and 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 you're just like oh my god like there's <laughs> like you know how you can count on one hand the number of guys in the country that can that can put together that sort of like two way sequence but then there are other times when it comes to you know like uh, you know, like spatial body awareness you know going side to side in 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 the half court and that's where we saw some of his turnover issues and. And obviously, like he, he turned the ball over, uh, you know, at least on, on in the aggregate, like, it, you know, not a crazy amount, so only 16% turnover rate. That's like not, that's not insane, I guess. But um, I don't know. I felt like there were at times, you know, 2.9 turnovers per 40 minutes. Um, I don't know. Any any thoughts, uh, Adrian, on, on Little's handle and, and perhaps maybe even a look at, you know, how did he fare as we're sort of like trying to project him to the NBA as that three and four, any thoughts a on his handle and perhaps like any look at numbers as far as his splits go versus times when he was sort of like the de facto three versus the de facto four in UNC's uh, system. Uh, yeah. Getting back to his handle, I guess, or his, uh, maybe his fit in the Carolina offense. I think he's kind of wired as a kind of an isolation mm-hmm. guy or, you know, when he, when he gets the ball, he's thinking, you know, getting triple threat, pull on the floor and let's, let's attack. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, Carolina runs freelance motion, which is really about passing the ball and moving. You know, it's all five guys mm-hmm. in constant motion. You know, the ball is whipping around, kind of like, I mean, how Golden State plays. No doubt, 100%. Without Durant. Yeah, 100%. So I don't think Little – and Harrison Barnes had many of the same issues at Carolina, mm-hmm. where those were guys who played a lot of ISO in AAU in high school or were used to having the ball in their hands a lot and kind of their first instinct – is to get the ball and look to attack or, you know, look to drive. Mm-hmm. Where at Carolina, it's kind of the opposite, right? You you get the ball, you make a pass, you Got screen it. away, you make a cut, and the ball will find you in a in a good scoring position. You know, Carolina gets a lot of grief sometimes about it's not a good place for wings or, you know, wings have a hard time in the system. And that's kind of true in some cases. I think for like Barnes and Little, kind of those ISO heavy wings mm-hmm. can have a hard time in Carolina. But guys like Cam Johnson or Justin Jackson, or Wayne Ellington, even yeah, Danny. Danny Green, yeah, yeah, guys who are either spot up shooters or guys who really move well about the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, Carolina runs a bunch of curls. You know, they they have their B three, which is their staggered screen mm-hmm. that you can read a hundred different ways. You know, you can curl it, you can use it as a pin down. You know, you can go off one, you can kind of uh, zigzag the screens or counter and go baseline. Mm-hmm. So there are a million different ways to read their screens, and that, that's something Little kind of struggled with. Right? He never really. Like, you didn't see him, like, even Kenny Williams, who had a bad year shooting the ball, but he was really, really good at coming off those screens mm-hmm. and getting ready for his jump shot or curling it or, you know, using those screens. Yeah, I guess your other question, I guess, was about a little with the three versus a little with the four. Yeah. Uh, to get into some numbers here, he actually, when he played the four, you know, kind of a small ball four, uh-huh. he was a lot more prolific as a scorer. He scored 25 points per 40 versus 19 as a three. And he was also more efficient, had a true shooting percentage of around 56 versus 54% as a three. Mm-hmm. And he was also, he shot the ball a lot more. He, 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 uh, his shot percentage was about 30% as a four versus 23% as a three. Mm-hmm. So he scored, he, I mean, he shot more, but still was more efficient mm-hmm. and obviously scored a lot more. The team, though, was actually less efficient when he played the four. So even though his individual numbers went up, 
it wasn't necessarily good for the team. So that's that's interesting. I mean, as a small ball four, you get a lot of good opportunities in secondary. Yeah. When you're when you're that trail yeah. trail big uh-huh. man, uh-huh. you have a lot of top of the key threes, which Little didn't really shoot many of. But it was big for uh, uh, Luke May. But you also have that opportunity to attack like a bigger defender on that reversal pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right in the early offense. Yep. So yeah, I mean, this is just like an outsider watching because I know that you and Brian watch college basketball more than I do, and just kind of watching some of the highlights of Nasir Little. You know, I talked about his athleticism, but to me, he seemed a little slow-footed, and that's why I thought maybe he would be better suited to play the four. And he has length too. I think I think he has a seven-foot wingspan as well. So it's interesting those numbers that you bring up, especially his individual numbers. He does better at that small ball four. And I, and I personally thought as an outsider that he would play better at the four, just based off of how he can defend and the way that, you know, the NBA is going, you need some of those players that can switch across multiple positions. But to me, do you guys see anything about that in terms of him not being mobile enough to guard a three? I think it's less about mobility and more about kind of overthinking out there mm-hmm. Okay, on both ends. You know, sometimes what looks like slow feet is actually just, slow processing right or just being a little bit overwhelmed mm-hmm. like where am i supposed to go certainly like in the secondary break there are times when uh, a little would get that reversal pass and it, as a trail big in the carolina break you have to you make a lot of reads right sometimes you're just making the pa- the opposite pass to reverse the ball mm-hmm. but other times you're making it pin down or i mean you're you're kicking it back to the the point guard or i mean you know sometimes there's there are a lot of different reads you have to make so sometimes he's a little bit frozen on those you know, you forget to come set a screen as part of a secondary option. Mm-hmm. But I think the actual, the, the footwork and the athleticism and the lateral quickness, I think that's kind of his, his best quality as a prospect, yeah. whether it's the three or the four. But I think he does have that defensive versatility, which is important in the NBA now. Yeah, I mean, he clearly looks like a guy both with his, you know, I, I'm not sure if he was measured at the combine or not. I, I should have checked that beforehand. But, you know, guy, he's got clearly has a, a, a noticeable wingspan. And, um, you know, he sort of has, you know, it wasn't, you know, stock numbers weren't crazy this season, you know, one and a half percent steal rate, uh, according to uh, Bart Torvik's site, 3.3% block rate. You know, I'd be, I'd be sort of curious to know, like, like, I think there's some interest of him, you know, if he, if he is a guy that can, that, that is sort of looking to play some four in the NBA, like, can he offer any sort of rim protection for your, for your half court defense? I think that's something that that could be important for him, but you know if he's if he's struggling processing aspects of the game or or, or think he's just seeing things a uh, you know half second too slow, you know does that sort of like offset some of the some of the length and versatility that he pre- that he does present defensively? And, and I think the curious thing to see with with Nasir is like, look, man, he's about to play a lot of basketball going forward. Like he's about to he's he's really you know he's still a teenager. This guy's young. He's going to play a lot of basketball going forward, and it'll just be fascinating to see, like, as the learning curve also gets more, you know, as like as, as that gets more steep and more stringent, like, does does that help him? Does he learn by simply just playing more basketball? Uh, I think that's going to be like a fascinating thing to see as he goes along, and if he does that, like, he you know, he can really tap into some to some uh, unique aspects that he he can really bring to the game with his with his strength and his his length and. You know, Adrian, I've seen you point this out before too, but like he's a he's a hard like this is an industrious player. Like this guy works really, really hard and and certainly plays with with a lot of passion and effort. You said he's coachable, like all that stuff matters. He could have gone into sulk mode at, at this season if if he I guess if he really wanted to and just 
through through the system and, and through you know Roy Williams, the coaching and, and his teammates. Like he never, you know, he never, you know, he never checked out. Like the guy played hard and had two good games, at least two of them at the end of the season. I don't even think in that Auburn game, he had some good moments against Chumo Kiki. You know, is there anything you want to, is there, I guess, Adrian, is there anything you want to address in terms of, you know, like any of these sort of like misnomers with Nasir, you know, coming off the bench, you know, you know, not fitting into the starting lineup or, or not being able to settle on a position and, and that being some sort of like presumed knock against him from some people is there is there anything you you like you might be able to offer up some insight in on on this year and just like how the season progressed and, and how he fit into uh, uh the rotation how some of that stuff may be projectable I, I know that's that's sort of vague and, and a lot that i'm spitting out here but anything you just want to address about this year as a uh, as a prospect uh, i think how he was used was fair this year you know i mean he's behind may and cam yeah. johnson who are all acc mm-hmm. you know caliber players and I think a lot of Carolina fans thought that kind of the small lineup was going to be the way to go again, like how they right. used Theo at the four in 2018. People thought, obviously, Nasir would just slide into that role and they play May at the five again. But, I mean, Garrison Brooks made a lot of progress. So, I mean, that kind of ended up being their go-to lineup. But, I mean, I think some of the concerns or some of, like, the reservations about how he fit into the Carolina offense were legitimate. You know, it's not a great offense for kind of ISO heavy wings. So, I mean, I think that's fair. But, I mean, there are some processing the game issues, I think, that would have kind of surfaced anywhere. I mean, I guess uh, more of like a spread pick and roll offense or like a dribble drive kind of thing where it's just kind of attacking and looking to kick out. I mean, he would have fit in better there. But I think playing at Carolina will help in the long run. I mean, for most NBA organizations, he's going to need to have those kind Mm -hmm. of processing skills. I think he got kind of like a head start into that yeah. kind of thinking. I mean, that's interesting to me in general is how, I mean, I think it could be, he could be like a hidden kind of under the radar guy. I mean, he's obviously yeah. not under the radar, but NBA franchise that has like a really maybe cutting edge mm-hmm. analytics team or like, that, like that's kind of a player development thing. That's, I don't really know much about is how you improve a player's kind of basketball IQ yeah. or like court awareness. Like I, I know people are using like, like augmented reality and virtual reality and kind of AI to kind of, you know, like for ghosting, and you know, this is like the where you want to be mm-hmm. standing for this kind of pick and roll action. You know, we've watched a million of these, you know, we've had a computer watch a million of these, and this is where you want to be standing. And I mean, just to have like some kind of headset where you can watch <laughs> just hours so of cool plays. And like, about, man. Like, that's just, just so neat to think about, like the, the new stuff. It's like that, you know, the player development is being developed, like as we speak, you know, and it, it's right. just, it, it's crazy to, to think about. Like, I remember a couple of years ago, Zach Lowe wrote a piece. This is in like, this is like early Grantland days. This is like 2012, 2013, where like the Raptors, the Toronto Raptors suit, you know, they're, they're playing for an NBA title right now, but like they had, they had set up some sort of computer program that could basically sort of do simulate what you're talking about. I mean, it was w- at least like what was publicly you know shown in this article was like way, you know, it was just way, way, way more pulled scaled back than that. It just sort of like showed you these dots moving along on a two dimensional court. And it was like, Hey, when, you know, when there's a pick and roll here, when the ball s- is swung here, like here's where the, you know, these two weak side help defenders need to be, here's where you need to be guarding the pick and roll. And it's just, you know, the, to think about how much that has changed in, in six years is like a little crazy. Um, just one more one more question on on Nasir. And and this is something that's like probably tough for you know you, me, or anyone else to even these NBA teams that are 
making decisions on him to answer. But like, what do you think about Little's a his ability to shoot off the catch? Obviously, we know the numbers weren't great this year. But what do you think about his shot? And sort of like how that combines with his ability to attack a closeout, like his ability to go left driving out of a closeout and just sort of like, where do you, where do you, where, when it comes to that sort of like shot drive paradigm, where, where do you think, like, how do you think Nasir projects? I'm, I'm really high on his shot. It's, stand, you know, his catch and shoot kind of standstill jump shooting. You know, he's an 80% foul shooter. He's shooting very well in these kind of, you yeah. know, open gym workouts. And, he showed really good touch on his floater, especially late in the season, you mm-hmm. know, in the NCAA tournament against some of the yep. zones Carolina played. He showed some really, I mean, he's a good, he's a good finisher. And then he showed like that good kind of mid range or like five to 10 foot. 10 foot in, he was like automatic against, you know, Washington and Iona or, or whatever. He was, he was awesome in those games. So he needs, he needs to work with like his shot preparation, right? Getting his feet ready, kind of all the fundamentals of game shooting. But I think that's kind of one of his most projectable traits is he's just going to be a good mm-hmm. catch and shoot guy. Yep. You know, corner threes or whatever. But then attacking closeouts, that, that's more of a, that's a little more mysterious for me. I'm not really sure. Like, that's not a big part of Carolina's system, right? They don't mm-hmm. really have guys spotting up. They do get to spot up threes, obviously, mm-hmm. but most of them are in transition or inside out. And there aren't like a lot of, you know, yeah. there's not a lot of dribble drive, like constant mm-hmm. closeout attacks. So, I think the processing part of it, in general, he was a very poor passer. Yeah, not a lot of assists this season. Yeah, and, and there's not really a lot of track record or like film there. To, yeah. You know, yeah, I would not. I mean, that's an area where he's going to need a lot of work, I think, yeah. is the decision-making and just improving as a passer, the vision, all of it. But I think the actual, the first part, you know, the, he'll be a dangerous catch-and-shoot jump shooter, which will set up with closeouts. And he has the athleticism, so it just gets back to that decision-making part again. Yeah, I, I, on on him as a, I, I think the shot could could get there. Yeah, his form's nice. I, I mean, there's nothing wrong yeah. with his form by yeah. any means. Like you see those videos out there, like uh, Adrian was saying in those open gyms. There's nothing wrong with his form, and he even mentioned you know shooting 80 percent from the free throw line. So that's always a pretty good projector yeah. of how you can do uh, from behind the arc. Even though he didn't shoot too well at Carolina, Brian. Let's transition to to Kobe White. Yeah, this is uh, this was one of the most exciting. Prospects. I mean, this guy for me, outside of Zion, uh, Kobe White was was perhaps the most entertaining and uh, prospect to watch this season, and and he you know, he was pretty damn good this season for uh, for for the Tar Heels. Um, like you said, you know the 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 you know as we sort of just talked about um, with with Nasir Little. Uh, you know, could, Adrian, could you speak a little bit about what your thoughts were? At, you know, Kobe White as a secondary break engine and, and how he worked in terms of decision-making when it came to stuff that was on the break versus uh, half-court decision-making or, or, you know, and, and specifically from once we get to the half-court, you know, what did you think about his handle, which I, I know is like a little high, but what did you think about his handle and his passing um, against like, you know, when, when the, when Carolina would go pick and roll. So those two thoughts of that were how his decision-making and, and playmaking in, in the secondary break and thoughts on his half court uh, decision-making as well. Yeah. First of all, I mean, there's primary break, right? That that's kind of where he really excelled is just getting the ball early and pushing it, you know, for either his mid range jumper or just getting all the way to the hoop. Uh, to start the year, he was a little bit shaky with his primary decision-making, his primary break decision-making. 
you know, he'd drive into trouble, get a lot of shots blocked, or kind of have to throw the ball away. But as the season progressed, he made better and better decisions about when to attack mm-hmm. in primary versus when to pull out and set up secondary. And for any Carolina point guard, I mean, the, the system puts a lot of pressure on the point guard to kind of make those, like Roy wants to run, run, run. He's always looking to push in primary, but if it's not there, you pull it out, and then it's all these secondary reads, right? It's not just secondary regular all the time. It's if you've got a hot shooter, I mean, it's knowing when to call secondary actions to get Cam Johnson a jumper, mm-hmm. or if you want to get a post up for Luke May, you know, it's maybe a different call. So, I mean, Kobe got, like, at the beginning of the year, it's kind of going through the motions. They ran a lot of secondary regular, which is their just ball reversal, back screen, cross screen, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the bread and butter. Yeah. More for like a double post offense, which they didn't really have this year. So I'm, you don't really want to create like a bunch of turnaround jumpers and jump hooks for Garrison Brooks. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's some other options that, you know, as the season progressed, uh, Kobe got better and better at kind of feeling the game and kind of calling secondary plays as the situation dictated. Mm-hmm. And then I guess your second part was talking about the his half court. Yeah. Yeah, half court decision making. I know there have been some, you know, people talk about you know, his handle. It's a little high. I actually think his handle's, um, you know, pretty good. And we saw his ability to, you know, split ball screens. I mean, he went, feel like he went viral a couple times this year with his, you know, what he did against Michigan and what he did against Duke in the ACC tournament. And he's even got, you know, the ability to snake ball screens. He's got some of those like dark arts of the point guard position down pat. But I, I would just be curious. As a guy that you know, I know you watched every second of basketball this guy played this season. If not, you know, certainly one time, if not twice. Just what you thought of his his half court, uh, you know, his handle and his decision making in the half court and how he navigated uh, ball screens. Yeah, uh, I mean, his handle I think is a little bit yeah. high and loose, like yeah. you're saying. He's capable of he does split those ball screen or the you know the. When there's a ball screen, he'll split mm-hmm. that effectively and get to the hoop sometimes. But there are times when he turns it over or, you know, dribbles in, into trouble with it. But uh, I think, I mean, Carolina, obviously, they don't run a ton of ball screen. They'll run it, a lot of their secondary, you know, a couple of their secondary break options involve early ball mm-hmm. screens. And then late in the clock, they'll run their fist pick and roll, which is kind of like a 1-4 mm-hmm. flat. And, I mean, Kobe would get a ball screen there. And, and I mean, he has a tendency to kind of settle for that step-back jumper, either a step-back three or a yeah. mid-range. And sometimes I think that is a function of his handle, especially against a guy like uh, Trey Jones or like Auburn's yeah. point guards. Harper. Yeah, you know, like a, a small, quick yeah, point guard. Harper at Auburn. Yeah. 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 He's not that confident maybe to get all the way to the hoop or he's kind of using a step-back as a, you know, kind of a bailout. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, so it looks like bad shot selection, but it's – maybe a function of the handle being a little mm-hmm. bit loose. Do you have any, do you have any splits on, uh, I, I'm, I'm part of me. I, I, I hate to just, you know, push a button, get stat here, but do you by any chance have any numbers on, you know, sp- looking specifically with, um, you know, perhaps, you know, three point shooting, but also uh, pull up twos, but any, just like splits between his pull up three point shooting, um, catch and shoot three point shooting, and just any, any numbers on his mid range pull ups. On threes off the dribble. He shot 27% on 94 attempts. So, you know, three a game. You know, he shot them pretty yeah. frequently. And he had a couple games. You know, the, the Texas game, the Miami game in Chapel mm-hmm. Hill, where he made four or five pull-up threes or step-back threes. So, when I mean, when he gets hot with that shot, it's kind of unguardable. And, I mean, those are 30-point games mm-hmm. for him. And he can, he can go off. 
then he had a lot of games where he'd he got over four on setbacks. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of variance there, a little bit. Yeah, but then he, he was forty one percent on. I had him for one hundred thirty eight catch and shoot opportunities from behind the arc. So that's obviously very good. And I mean, a lot of those are yeah. deep, you know, NBA yeah. length yep. threes. Yep. I, I haven't checked the Stepians. I mean, I know they're just sort of scraping that data. I haven't checked the Stepians numbers on that, but I'm sure I'm sure he hit a fair, fair number uh, from from what they were saying to be spitting out to be um, an NBA range. Um, yeah, I, I just think I, I, I'm fascinated to see how Kobe looks in um like in a spread pick and roll offense of the NBA, you know, you're wa- if you're watching the the NBA Finals, you'll see the the not like the Warriors are, you know, a spread pick and roll offense. Like as we said earlier, they they sort of love to run this motion attack with all these split cuts, and but they, but they've gone to cur- plenty Curry pick and roll with with Draymond Green and just some of these really early ball screens when Draymond sets them for for Steph, you know, way above the three point line. You think like I can't wait to see what Kobe White looks like with the, with the, you know getting being able to play downhill with the you know the hair flying in the wind, and, and he's able to to use his speed. The guy is just so ridiculously fast and and slippery and and, and twitchy. I it's I think it's going to be. I think he's got the ability to be a, a really fun offensive player in the NBA. But you know, I'd be curious too. Do you think? You know, it's it's interesting. It's like for for someone like me who doesn't pay pays little attention to prep basketball. To me, he was sort of billed as like a hey, this is an off guard. This is a secondary guy that really wants to score, but he played on the ball a ton this year. You know, do you think he has? Do you think he has it in him to be a primary? You know, a primary one. You know, whether the whether the position is, you know, you know, I could care less about the number position, but just the guy that sort of like has the ball in his hands for the majority of an offensive possession, or is he someone that maybe looks more comfortable playing like? you know, like Malcolm Brogdon being a guy that will run some pick and roll, but you know, he's, he's spotting up and looking to attack more. What do you think he's more comfortable doing one of those two things than the other? He's definitely wired to score, but I think he's comfortable either way. Like, I mean, he doesn't need to have the ball in his hands. I would like to see him this year with Anthony point guard and him off the ball a little more. (laughs) I think, I think he's best as a secondary creator. I mean, I don't think his handle was quite mm-hmm. tight enough or like his mindset, yeah. you know, it's not really a pure yeah. point guard, but I mean, you don't really need to be in the modern NBA, right? You can be a, like an Irving mm-hmm. type. Or, I mean, he can make the passes, but he's not really, he's thinking score. I mean, from the moment he gets that ball screen or, you know, the moment the ball's in his hands, he's looking to attack. But I, I like him best as kind of a secondary creator who's attacking closeouts or like, you know, doing some pick and roll, but not being the guy who's just pounding the ball off possession. Uh, I'm the I'm, I'm the I think that's like that's really where he can get to and, and really take advantage of of his speed game and that that's that's like where I'm at uh, with Kobe too, which is sort of interesting. You know, you're you're seeing him; he's vaulted into being um, not just a lottery prospect, but a top ten guy. And, you know, <laughs> you know, you're seeing Phoenix and Chicago; these teams sort of you know circle him to to some extent. You're like, is this guy even going to make it to pick? you know, pick eight, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. But um, one last thing I'd like to hit on, on Kobe. I mean, I, I know we could talk more about his offense, but I'd be sort of curious to, 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 to chat with you a little bit on his, on his defense. Um, you know, he was sort of, you know, he's built as this, this big, you know, six, five, six, six point guard. And yeah, I don't, I don't think he's, he's probably, you know, six, four or whatever. If, you know, we're, I guess maybe we're splitting hairs and, you know, I, I don't really care too much about that, but I don't think he's quite as, you know, he's, I, I'm not sure what his quite what his wingspan is, but I don't think he's one of those guys that's super long and, and, and rangy and stuff like that. But I thought defensively, like he was, 
pretty solid this year. I, I thought he did all right, like, you know, in terms of team system defense situations, like being being in the right place at the right time, you know, the, the majority of the – when he was called upon there. And I thought he did an okay job, like in pick-and-roll defense, you know, guarding ball screens and stuff too. So so two things I pose to you, Adrian. I, if you have numbers on – I mean, you and I can pull easily pull up his – you know, his steals numbers, he was 2% steal rate this season. But if you had any numbers on his deflections and then any sort of general thoughts on his defense, both on ball, guarding ball screens, and in off-ball help situations. Yeah, first of all, yeah, the the deflection numbers, he wasn't terribly disruptive. I mean, he had three. I had 3.9 deflections per 40, which is uh, like uh, Ray Felton was kind of the gold standard at Carolina for – you know, on ball pressure defense, point of attack. And he had he had seven point eight. So <laughs> oh my God. double the number. Oh yeah. my God. And Barry in twenty seventeen had six point one deflections per forty. Wow. Uh, and Lawson had six point five per forty wow. in in two thousand nine. So those guys are all kind of head and shoulders above white in terms of interesting. Just, yeah. And same with uh forcing turnovers. Mm-hmm. The, the numbers weren't quite like Kobe was a two point nine per forty for forced turnovers. And Felton was 4.2. Ty was 4.2. Barry was 3.5. But yeah, I agree with you on the the second point, or your point about as an on-ball defender and mm-hmm. just doing the fundamental things pretty well. I think only Garrison Brooks won more kind of uh, defensive player of the game awards. You know, mm-hmm. the coach, Carolina coaching staff. Yeah, right. They'll grade the tape after every game. Mm-hmm. And it's really just based on, it's not based on the outcome, right? Like mm-hmm. they don't care if Garrison Brooks gives up a, like if a guy hits a jump hook over him, as long as Brooks is like walling up and you know playing is doing everything fundamentally correct, mm-hmm. he'll get like a, a good play for that. So uh, I think White won the second most on the team behind only Brooks. That's impressive. So that's a good indication that he's yeah. in the right spots mm-hmm. and on the ball. He's he wor- he works really hard to fight over ball screens and kind of stay attached. And at Carolina in general did a really good job defending ball screens. Part of that was Brooks, yeah, Brooks. but a big part was Kobe White was really. Just really worked hard at it. It was really conscientious about fighting over the top mm-hmm. and staying attached on this. And uh, off the ball, same thing. I mean, uh, you know, some of it is systematic, I guess. Or you know, Carolina will help off corner three point shooters sometimes. You know, they, they kind of overhelp in general, but that's not really a Kobe White problem. That's, or I mean, that's just how the Carolina system works, right? They like to help early, yeah, to prevent pain attempts. Mm-hmm. And they'll give up some threes. Mm-hmm. That's just something in Carolina basketball is. I mean, the fans have been lamenting that for decades now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's not really about Kobe being out of position or overhelping. That's just this is how the system is. Yeah. Uh-huh. He, uh, he drew 14 offensive fouls this year, which was second. Okay. You know, only Kenny had mo- only Kenny Williams had more mm-hmm. as far Hill. Okay. And a lot of those were on the ball, but a couple of those were on good help side rotations. That, that that that's some promising stuff to hear as as far as uh you know the, I, I was I was unaware of the 14 offensive fouls it's it's a good number to know I'm not surprised to hear that Kenny uh topped that chart no, I'm sure yeah, yeah. I'm sure I, I'm sure at some point during the season I, I saw you you tweet that out at some point too but since we since we we'll we'll move on we'll just go real quickly here cuz we've taken up enough of your time but um just one last guy I'd like to touch on very, very quickly here, and that's Cameron Johnson, the the, the final sort of uh, you know first round draft prospect. I mean, if you want to throw in Luke May as a as a draft prospect or an NBA prospect of some kind, that that's fine. But we're going to focus on on these guys for right now. And I guess I would like to just 
we all know that Cameron Johnson is a, is a great three-point shooter. I think, you know, he's maybe the best, arguably the best movement shooting prospect in, in the in the draft. And, and I just I, – I, was blown away with how, how good he was off the, off the catch this season and, you know, curling screens and, and getting his feet set and, and just looking for catch and shoot opportunities um, coming from Kobe. And, and I'm sure Kobe generated, if not directly, then indirectly, you know, some of these, some of these juicy catch and shoot looks for, for Cam. But, um, you know, after he went through, I believe it was, he had a hip surgery uh, last off season, maybe it was April, you know, March or April, 2018. And, he came back healthy this year, and just specifically to his defense, could you could you could you say anything like I, I, I'm not totally worried about Cam's defense. I don't think he's going to be necessarily a plus defender in the NBA, but just how maybe the, the 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 jump that he made defensively this season while finally healthy in a UNC uniform. Yeah, no, he was he was way way better defensively. I'll throw some quick numbers at you here. Uh, his stop percentage, which is kind of a defensive charting catch-all yeah. that I use, uh, it's a Dean Oliver number, but uh, it was 54.5% last year, and it jumped to 65% this year, so it went up over 10%. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a huge jump, and uh, opponents shot 46%, or had a, a true shooting percentage of 46% wow. on on shots that Cam was responsible for. Wow. And it was, it was 56% last year. So yeah, wow, wow. Those are that's a that's impressive. Yeah, and I and Kenny Williams usually took, you know, he take the the highest, the, you know, the high usage, the most wing. most of the highest usage wing. Yeah, so Cam would not always be on a score, mm-hmm. but I mean, he, he defended guys like Cam Reddish. Mm-hmm. I mean, he defended some some pretty good players. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, throwing the numbers out, I mean, just from like the simple eye test, right? You could see as a senior how much better he's moving laterally. Right. And the games against UVA, as a junior, you know, pre-surgery in the AC tournament, he had a really, really hard time. You know, UVA runs their, their blocker mover. Yep. Or, you know, their sides offense. Yep. It's just a bunch. It's this guy in Jerome. Yep. Just Pin downs, flares, pin down. Yeah, flares. curling up. Yeah, flaring, yeah. curling down. It, it's to me, Jason Warford. It, it looks like it looked to me whenever I watch that offense, it's like the inside gears of a watch, like spinning around <laughs> one. That's what I every time I watch UVA or Notre Dame or like the Trailblazers play, like that. Whenever I see that those mover blocker concepts, it's always what I think of. But um, but yeah, as, as you were saying about about Canvers UVA, yeah, he really he really struggled as a junior or his first year at Carolina mm-hmm. against. Those offense. He's actually he was on Devin Hall most of the time. I think mm-hmm. as a junior, it wasn't even guy who's you know really good at moving that offense. But he just struggled to navigate kind of off the ball, mm-hmm. you know, just to get through screens and you know that kind of movement. Mm-hmm. But as a senior, he was. I mean, it still wasn't a strain. At being, you know, he's a six nine wing mm-hmm. guarding like six three and six four shooters sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's still kind of tricky. But I mean, he was so much better at just moving in space off the ball. And just you know, kind of block and trail defense, things like that. Yeah, I think that, like I said, I, I don't worry about his. Um, you know, I really don't worry about his defense that much. Again, I don't. You know, I don't think he's. I don't think by any by any stretch of the imagination he's you know anything resembling a you know a, a stopper or whatever. But he's got good length if he's if he's healthy and moving well. I, I think he can be totally fine on that end of the court and and with the, with his jumper man um yeah i mean i know it's one of those things where i've i've seen you talk about this before too you know the unc offense they don't they don't target the corners a ton but like this is a guy that's going to make a killing shooting from the corners and and probably everywhere else uh you know 
you know, 23 feet and out further uh, in the NBA. And it'll be, it'll be fun to see him helping space the floor for some team in the, uh, in the pros there. So I, I do have a serious question for both of you guys. Um, do you guys trust college players that wear t-shirts underneath <laughs> their jerseys like Cam Johnson? Um, man. Besides James Harden, name, name another that's, that's turned oh, out all God. right. I'm trying, to, yeah. I'm trying to think. There's got to be some others. It's like, uh, well, like the T-shirts have changed so much now, too. Well, that's true. That's you true. Know, it's it's nothing like James yeah. Harden, where he, he actually had like a, a yeah, T-shirt. I, yeah. I, I, yeah, in the early 90s, they used to wear those baggy ones. Right, I think like, right exactly. You know, <laughs> Kenny Anderson? I, I don't know. If, yeah, some of the guys in the early oh, 90s. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I remember there was a guy that played at, at Pittsburgh, and like these are like the Ben Howlin, maybe into the Jamie Dixon. I want to say his name was Julius Page or something like that. Oh yeah, he, caught, he would he it was it looked I mean it just it looked wild like it, it looked cool, but it was like he wore the long t shirt, and I think he was left handed and either cut the sleeve off the left or the right side. So he had one sleeve really long and baggy, and the other sleeve other sleeve was cut off, um, which is a wild look. Like I think someone should. Yeah, I think someone should bring that should bring that look back too. But yeah, no, I trust. I, I would say if you had asked me that question ten years ago, I don't think I would have trust t-shirt guys. But now in 2019, with the you know all these jerseys being so slick and form fitting, I think guys, I think it's just a new, a different way to style, and I, I'm cool with that. Yeah. So well, look, Adrian, uh, we really, really appreciate the time and, and the insight and the numbers. Um, again, seriously, if if you guys like UNC or college hoops uh, or just basketball in general uh yeah, this this dude is 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 great to to follow and read all the stuff you can find him on twitter at freeport kid and that's adrian atkinson so uh thanks again for tuning in to another episode of buzz beat again we're the go-to charlotte hornets podcast for deep analysis and of course you can find us on the blue wire network if you're enjoying the content go ahead and take uh that one minute and give us a five-star rating and review on itunes uh, of course you can find our stuff on spotify as well and yeah one more time we wanted again we should thank our guest adrian atkinson uh for some insight on the tar heels in this year's drafts yeah adrian anything else you want to you want to throw in here before we head off uh, no, I think I'm all set. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. All right. For, for Richie, I'm Brian. Uh, we'll see you next time. More stuff coming up on the draft. And go Hornets. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.